0: Welcome to On the Table, a podcast about board games, card games, and tabletop war games. Hey, it's Chase from On the Table Gaming, and welcome back to episode 95 of the On the Table Gaming podcast. And this week, I'm joined by Brian from Big Top Gaming to discuss the recently revealed A Song of Ice and Fire team tournament guidelines for 2021. Brian, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me here. How you been doing lately? I've been doing pretty well, all things considered.
1: Uh, you know, it's it's been an interesting year, to say the least. <laughs> Yeah, so ninety five, huh? I wonder, do you have anything special in your pocket for episode one hundred? I I don't know if I can reveal that at this time here. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> but you know, as far as the way things are going, you know, uh, you you know, people might be remembering that you know, twenty twenty was supposed to be the big reveal for organized play for a Song of Ice and Fire, but it probably goes out saying you know, this was a suboptimal year for you know, conventions and and tournament play. So it's cool that they're teasing this document now right we're getting kind of a little bit of a teaser for what 2021 might look like
1: yeah we can at least uh exist in the headspace of what a tournament like this would look like and start teasing apart like what the best strategies would be when kind of attacking this type of uh event i'm really excited about it i think when it comes to any kind of miniature war game i feel like one of the most not pure maybe it is maybe it's the most pure and fun experience is Uh, having a team event because you get to have this like cool sense of camaraderie like if i go to a regular tournament with like five people right that i just i I pack them in my car and we go we're not really all like kind of fighting towards the same goal and there's a good chance we might get paired against each other and it always sucks to get paired against your 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 car mates in in round one because you know someone's going to walk away from that game not happy um in terms of like advancing in the tournament structure but at a team tournament you get to all work towards the same goal and i'm super happy that Coleman or not has put out a packet that kind of uh gives us some guidelines around that instead of forcing not forcing but um making the uh, community of a song of ice and fire built themselves right absolutely but before we get into that you know what, what's been going on on your end uh, not not much really. I mean, like I, I'm I'm still super into the Baratheon stuff right now. Like uh, I've I haven't completely abandoned the Free Folk world. It's just that now that the Baratheon stuff is getting a lot more fleshed out, uh, I'm really enjoying a lot of what they do. Since uh, I, I kind of live for the grind when it comes to uh, my like play style in miniature <laughs> war gaming. So the Baratheons are really kind of striking a lot of those boxes. Of course, Renly for sure. In terms of content production, I know that. Uh, The pandemics really affected my ability to get interactions with a song of ice and fire players in my local community. And uh, that's kind of stymied the battle report system or the battle report uh, production on my side mm-hmm. but uh, definitely i'm waiting for the uh the massive release cycle in november to start talking about what do the all the attachment boxes bring to your building logic and uh, then we can start talking about some of those other new releases i think i jumped the gun a little bit with some of those targaryen releases that kind of got teased on accident but there's a lot of real cool exciting things to talk about in a song of ice and fire i'm just kind of like biding my time for those but otherwise we're still doing a lot of war machine stuff i think i might start dabbling into the 40k world a little bit since that's Ooh. like kind of me yeah i know it's it's weird like i i my wargaming like career kind of started with warhammer 40k like most people's and it's like warhammer is just that that siren that's kind of calling to you from the shoreline every time a new edition gets <laughs> yep And uh, they're really focusing, one of the things that really attracted me to other games when I had left 40k in the first place was that uh, this idea of scenario play and A Song of Ice and Fire has that in spades along with War Machine and some others. So now that uh, Games Workshop's kind of coming back around to that kind of style of play, it's gotten really exciting and uh, the games have been really cool and dynamic and not just like my 48 inch gun shoots you off the table can do anything and i went
0: and i mean the miniatures look great for for 40k as well so there's always that uh that like coolness factor as well
1: yeah much like uh much like cool or not they seem gw always kind of ups the bar as they produce more models so um there, there, there are some misses every now and again but i was recently looking at some of their sisters battle stuff and it was funny because the sister dialogus was always like the the most awkward miniature in all of warhammer 40k and they ended up making a new sculpt of it that does not look awkward so it's it's neat that they're going back and kind of fixing some of those but uh even just with the way the attachment boxes are looking for a song of ice and fire we're definitely seeing that cool mini or not is is increasing the quality and um detail with every single release that they're getting so when november hits with all the way these things are looking i can't wait to see what comes in the future oh man and that and, and gray joys those scopes look so amazing oh, yeah yeah that's uh that's what i'm kind of chomping at the bit for yeah i want to try them out too
0: so what we have here then in this team tournament guidelines is that it's going to allow you to show up at an event like, like brian was saying and um you'll be playing with a group of people as like a unified team so um it might be your four people against another four people and we don't mean like playing on the table at the same time it's not like two v twos um, but there's a pairing and selection process where you're kind of like, um, maybe not bidding, but you're, you're, you're strategically teaming up certain players to play against each other to maybe get the most advantage. And so there's like kind of a, a pairing process we want to talk through. But before we get to that, even right from the start, the way you build your armies is going to be different in this format. So the suggest the, so the guidelines are, is everybody's going to show up with two lists. And you can't change the
1: list once the tournament begins. So kind of standard tournament fare there. But for for what it's worth, uh, the the two list is optional. I'll just put that in there because you you don't have to take two lists. It's just uh, you're way better off for taking two of them. Fair
0: enough. That makes sense. Um, And the thing is, though, on your team, members of the same team cannot play the same faction and... Each neutral character can only be included in the list of one player unless you have someone playing the neutral faction. And if they're playing the neutral faction, that doesn't count towards a limit. So they can have a duplicate of a character in their army still. This is really cool. This is going to really shake things up a lot. Um, what, yeah. are, what are your thoughts on how this might play
1: out? So I think um, one of the coolest parts about this, uh, first of all, I guess there's there's a lot of cool parts about this because not being able to echo factions across multiple players is a really big deal. I think that that means that bringing a more diverse team is going to be more important. I think uh, it's going to be m- a much more stressful thing to execute properly in the four-player version as opposed to the three-player version. Mm-hmm. But um, making sure that you have multiple people who are specialists within different factions can be really huge here. The uh the neutral thing is really massive. I think that um in 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 the headspace of a song of ice and fire, I think that many people feel that the neutral faction itself is maybe a couple notches down from the rest. I wouldn't say that it's like bottom of the barrel by any means, and even so if the bottom of the barrel is neutrals, it's not like they're that far from everyone else mhm but it means that you're incentivized to kind of bring one of those players if there's a lot of power contained within some of those neutral characters. Like, we've all known that while their phrase a really big deal in most cases, uh, a lot of those combat um, characters that are that kind of turn you up, like Braun is kind of a big one, Brienne is a little bit on the big side, although I, I think she's probably bigger in my head than what most people <laughs> would think. I just really enjoy her deployment shenanigans, but, um, as an aside, I I don't want to go too far off into that one, but, um, I think that it means that if you have a, a a player who is well versed in the neutral playability and can execute their game plan on the table really well, they're going to be a super powerful asset to make sure that you can, uh, can, uh, wrap that into your play style to give you some really cool advantages. Like uh, the the really cool thing here is that um, it does allow you to double run commanders. So if there's one neutral commander, that's really powerful. You can kind of echo that twice across your army or across your player list. Right. So like if Roos Bolton is just really, if you've got two really strong Roos players, you can have some Roos player in Lannister and then Roos player in neutral. And then you can capitalize on how much you can, Uh, control the pairing process with having two ruses so i think we're gonna see i mean
0: that's a huge boost for neutral players i mean i feel like they're gonna be way in more they're gonna be in way more demand i mean uh you know mike from off the wall games if you're listening you're gonna be get your get your phone ready we're gonna be people gonna be reaching out to you all the time those people who have been like diehard neutrals from the beginning
1: yeah, they're going to kind of have to set up a table, right? <laughs> and put a sign on it that says like, like uh, accepting applications for team membership. There we go.
0: That can be his uh, his side hustle. He can just show up at tournaments and be like, uh, hire a neutral player uh, to round out your team.
1: The first thing you just say is, "So, what can you do for me?" <laughs> you get listen. To, you our get blades to are that sharp. Exercise wow. that hired out neutral feel.
0: Oh my gosh, that actually that's hilarious because that like is thematic on like a whole nother level
1: exactly Yep. i think it brings a lot of value to a neutral specialist i think they'll they'll find a lot of a lot of benefit in in this type of tournament setup
0: and and for the record uh that would never be me i probably have played neutrals straight neutrals like the least especially with like no coin beyond the wall being a free folk thing um not not really my wheelhouse i think i I get teased i know chanel teased me in the past for being like Oh, yeah, they don't have any options for this, and he's like, "Chase, they can take neutrals and it's like oh yeah yeah, oh,
1: yeah. It, it's it's tough to remember that I was a <laughs> a free folk purist for a really long time, and uh, at least now it's uh it it definitely gives those those people who have been uh neutral purists a really neat way to kind of integrate into this process and so you 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 then sit down with your team, you'll build out your list,
0: making sure that you're not kind of duplicating these um neutral characters, you know, within these guidelines. And then when you actually get to the event, there's two ways of pairing the players. Uh, So it depends if you have three player teams or four player teams. Maybe you've got a little bit of experience in this format in a slightly different incarnation. Do you think maybe you'd walk us through? So
1: what are these, what sort of the strengths of this model
0: and, and how does it really work? How does it play out?
1: So the really interesting thing about team formats is that it allows you to kind of construct your your team setup first. You want to put a lot of effort into uh, making sure that your team's bringing lists that all kind of not synergize so well with each other and more so that they kind of don't have the same bad matchup. So if you're someone like, a, and I'm just going to throw this out here as like, you know, a possibility, right? If you're a Lannister player, right? Maybe you might struggle into something like Free Folk a little bit more because your units are typically a little bit more pricey, that the, at least the ones that you're taking. And you play a more control-oriented style, which Free Folk doesn't really care about that. If you want to control one of my six Free Folk Raiders, it's not a big deal. Um, so that Free Folk pocket is going to be looked at as somewhat of a weakness for you. So instead, you can try and dodge that matchup and have one of your other teammates take it. Because if you're taking someone like uh, a Stark player who has really fast, hard-hitting cavalry that can kind of hit in and back out and not worry about getting gummed up with the Free Folk stuff, or a Baratheon player who can just exist and tank through all of this Free Folk (laughs) stuff that's going on, uh, you kind of don't have to deal with that so much because of the way that they set this pairing process up. So uh, this way you can kind of bring a list that is or bring a faction that is one that might struggle into the big headspace meta and have options to kind of dodge those matchups. I think that the the team format allows you to really kind of tailor how things work in terms of the pairing process. You kind of pick and choose what you get to play into. Now, you don't 100% get to pick and choose it because of the way these are formatted but there's definitely a little bit more control so you can bring something that the rest of the community might not think is extremely powerful in like a 1v1 format our traditional tournament styles but you can start bringing things that are a little bit more they would be more present in the meta if their boogeyman weren't as present in the meta as uh as they are Is it really going to shake things up then oh yeah for sure i think that It'll allow people to get a lot of things on the table that they have been kind of afraid to put on in a competitive mindset. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how this shakes up and see how, that, how the uh, competitive ice and fire world reacts to it. So, so I show up with my,
0: my, three, my team of three, uh, me and two others, and we get paired up against this other team of three people. So each team would choose a lord, so one person that's kind of like the team captain.
1: The other two players would be bannermen. Like, I remember in Magic, they used to have the generals format where it was three people. You'd have your generals and your two lieutenants. So your lords kind of like the ever present. You know what that matchup's gonna be.
0: And then each team's gonna reveal which player is their lord for the round of this tournament. And then each player chooses one bannerman on the opposite team. So each team would select one person on the other team, and the other two.
1: Bannerman would be paired off. Yeah, I believe you're you you've got the gist of it. So, this kind of the three-player team format kind of lends itself a little bit more to like building three people with all-comers pairings. So, like mm-hmm. I'm going to kind of talk about these and just the the aspect of bringing two lists because if you want to bring one list to a tournament, that's completely within your right and ability to do, but you're 100% going to be hindering yourself because if you play against someone who has a second list, they're 100% going to know which one of their lists is going to be best at taking yours apart, and there's nothing you can do about it. Mm -hmm. So in a two-list pairing format, you can do things like look at um, my two-list. I can never, it's really difficult to build an extremely effective two-list pair and cover every single matchup you need to. It's just difficult. And then when you get into the process of like, list chicken where if i drop my list a then you drop your list b it's a good game but if i drop list a and you drop list a then it's not a good game you know like there's there's Mm -hmm. a level to to screwballiness when you start bringing that into consideration so by having this format set up you could take someone who has the best all-comer pairing between all three of your opponents right and then if you select them as the lord it means that no matter what a player from the opposite team gets selected as Lord, you're going to have a good game into them and you can kind of manufacture it to where you never really have a list chicken matchup, or you're going to be dropping a list that isn't going to be effective into what they do. Okay, It it really kind of gears people towards building, like I said, more all comer pairings and this way they can kind of dodge matchups. And when I say dodge matchups, I mean this way they can kind of make sure that they don't get put into a matchup that they don't want. And mm-hmm. by committing them to Bannerman, you can kind of choose like, okay, so I have my best all-comer pairing between Night's Watch, so I'm going to play as the Lord. So no matter what my opponent drops, if they're Targaryen, Lannister, or Stark, I will have an extremely decent matchup into either one of those pairings, no matter what. There's no blank spaces for me in those people, so me choosing myself as the Lord means that I'm I'm setting myself up for a good match right and then you
0: think there are certain factions we have now that like lend themselves more toward that lord position like uh, i keep thinking about baratheons and not having had much tournament experience with them because of the two parts of their faction the kind of diversity you could have in building your lists even with limited options like maybe they might they be a good all-comer or are there other lists you might be looking at other factions
1: i really do feel like baratheons and starks kind of lend themselves to being the all-comer factions Um, Baratheons end up skewing accidentally in a really big direction. So most of their stuff, if you're, whether you're playing Renly or Stannis loyalty, most of it is extremely durable. So you kind of get your opponent into this position where they, because you're Baratheon, they have to drop a list that's good at breaking armor, Mm -hmm. but not all lists that are good that are, that are good at breaking armor are also good into like the panic game. Mm -hmm. So they end up presenting a pair that's, uh, that's kind of susceptible to that um, to that panic game that Stannis can play, you can really kind of flip the table on them and make sure that they say, yes, you have to deal with Baratheon Wardens or Champions of the Stag or whatever. But uh, if they end up dropping that, like a Sworn Brothers or maybe a decent one for it, but they also don't have the greatest morale in the world when you start taking a lot off of it. So if they're not playing something like Jon Snow, who's really good at making sure the morale stays good and brings a lot of dudes back, uh, you could definitely see that 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 like hole in their pairing and kind of exploit it. So I feel like Baratheons do a good job at that. And I think Starks are really, in, in my opinion, I think Starks play their own game kind of regardless of what the opponent's doing. They're a very proactive faction. So they don't need to really do things like counter what your opponent's doing. They find the troublesome parts in a list, scalpel it out, and move on. <laughs> yeah. So it's really easy for them to kind of attack their game plan at the at the start. So like finding a Lord who's a good Baratheon and Stark or Stark player probably is going to be uh, one you'll find more often being able to take that position than not. And then you've had experience in this style of play in other game systems, right? Yeah, I think uh, War Machine and Infinity both use this team pairing style quite a bit. I know in War Machine, it's uh, a five-man pair or five-player pairing is usually the one that uh, kind of gets utilized a bunch. And there's a lot of discussion in how um, the, the pairings get set up because there are just some times where uh, you you don't want to go into a certain faction, right? And with the five-person pairing, you can kind of dodge that matchup. And I think that's, a, a, again, the same thing you can do here. It's just in the three-man, it's kind of like, or the three-player version, uh, it's... It's a little bit more whoever is best at going into something is the one you put up first. And then you just kind of hope for a good matchup with the other two.
0: So then the other option is the four player teams. And this one's a little bit more involved trying to read through it. And I was trying to wrap my head around it at first. And I'm glad that I've got you on here, who's a little bit more of a pro at this. I haven't had a lot of you know team player experience like this, but it's a little bit more involved with the four player teams.
1: Yeah, you get a lot more control on what you can do here. So you end up uh, still choosing a Lord and then the other three players on your team become Bannermen and then uh, each team reveals who their Lord is for that round. So again, we're we're getting back to this idea that wasn't so much uh, highlighted in the three player version, but Lords are changed per round, so you don't have to do this at the beginning of the tournament and just assign someone Lordship, right? You can kind of pick and choose. So, um, in that, uh, in that case where like Baratheon and Starks are really high all comers, if there's anything that those players feel between their pairing that they just don't quite hit on the faction level or on the commander level, they can say, I need to pivot off of this for Lord for the turn and put in our other player. That's either Baratheon or Stark, right? Depending on what their opposite is. And then they might have that better option as a lord so they can get paired into whatever that person decides to present. Uh, Once you've chosen the the lords, you kind of they call it uh, you you determine which team gets the toss, which I imagine is just like a roll off or a coin flip for who (laughs) becomes team A and who becomes team B. So uh, once you've figured out who team A is, the team A chooses two of their bannermen. So they'll have one player that's kind of benched. That doesn't go into this pairing process. And then uh, Team A will present those two bannermen. So they do something like maybe present their Lannister and Free Folk player, right? And then Team B gets to choose one of the bannermen that they have. So they've got three bannermen left waiting in the wings. And then they can kind of pick out which one of those is going to go best into those two pairings. So I think when you get to this point in the selection process, if I were the team A player, I would probably put my most two polarizing uh, faction list constructions onto this matchup so that the player on team B wouldn't be able to figure out uh, a really good matchup that would catch both of them. I want to present them two very different options. I could see something like dropping my Baratheon player and my free folk player because those are two those two lists regardless take very different tools to deal with. So then once they just out of their th- they have their whole set of three bannermen to choose from. So they pick the one that might go best into those pairings and then uh, that they get matched up that way. So then from there we we kind of we have one person or one bannerman left over from team A and we have two bannermen left over from team B. So then uh, Team B puts those two Bannermen out, and then uh, team A gets to choose which one of those two Bannermen from Team B play against their one leftover Bannerman from Team A. I know that you might need like your chalkboard with like tick yeah. or, or, <laughs> At <laughs> home, you're we following along. Yarn and everything to keep up with this. But then, as the team A player, I get to choose which person from team A goes into those two represented bannermen from team B. And since I've kind of knocked out one of their power players, like not so much power player but they they pointed a certain player into that original pairing from team A. Now I feel like I get a little bit more choice in making sure that I'm not like that I'm not picking a bad matchup for both of my bannermen because once I've decided to put one of my team my remaining team A player into the two remaining team B bannermen. That leaves me with my one leftover bannerman that's been benched and the one leftover bannerman from B that's still on the table. So I kind of get to dictate two matchups and I think there's a lot of power with that in team A. And then of course once that's over there's the two lords that play against each other and the lords would be the probably the best well-rounded players that are less affected by extreme variance in list building style
0: okay so that actually makes it a lot more sense to me now and but one of the questions i had originally was so it seems like there's a, a possibility here that you know that a player or b the, the a team or the b team there might be kind of some built-in inherent strengths for that um because you know one is choosing first or or gets the last choice but il- within here when the player from team a you know first chooses they uh sorry but built in when the Team B chooses at that first round, uh, team A gets to choose their deployment zone or pass it. And then team B then gets to, to choose the deployment zone or pass it for the next three options. So it seems like maybe that's built in there to balance
1: out the selection process. Exactly. Because I think that in general, when I, when I'm thinking about this pairing process and how the matrix of it goes down or the algorithm of it goes down, Mm -hmm. I feel like without choosing deployment zones, that team A is extremely advantaged because they get to control two of those matchups. And I know that like the team, like kind of get to choose three of those matchups, right? Because they're a lord. It's almost like. Both players kind of have an equal choice, but I think there's a lot of power in being able to bench one of your players or one of your bannermen right away and not have to uh, worry about um, that matchup not being something that you don't get a good one out of. You know what I mean? Like you can take your weakest player based on mm-hmm. all four that your are all three options that your opponents presented and just say okay well we want to make sure we hold you to the end so you don't get the bad matchup. Oh man, this is really fascinating. Yeah, it's really cool stuff. I think the the one thing that I want to comment on about the deployment stuff or choosing sides is that I feel like with the way that terrain set up in a Song of Ice and Fire goes, the deployment side isn't as impactful when you're allowing players to choose the terrain they want to put on the table and where it goes. I feel like one of the big uh benefits to having um this pairing process or this team process is that the tournament organizer should really be going out to each table and presetting all of the terrain that's on there because this gives another layer to figuring out which table do i want to put my first matchup on and that could just be another layer that gets baked into uh the team a b process because if team a gets to choose whoever picks the pairing right if they get to choose which table they get to play on, they can kind of manipulate their choice based on what the terrain looks like already. And then the deployment zone matters quite a bit, too, because if you're if you're a, a decent TO and setting it up so that one side is just slightly more advantaged than the other, or there is a definite downside to picking one side over the other, it gives a lot more levity to the, uh, the the choice for picking deployment. So I think the other thing on top of this, too, is that if you're running a team tournament, it's going to take a lot of time to let players go through this pairing process and then set up terrain on the table. So you really right. be setting the terrain pre uh, pre game and then making sure that it's kind of not getting reset, but put back where it should have been after each round. And that'll just add another cool layer to the complexity or the, the excitement of kind of picking through this process. Man, I just
0: think this is going to set us up to be in a
1: position to have some really, really cool and dynamic and just like engaging events. And we're gonna see a lot of different lists too, because there's some things that people might just not be really uh down with doing right now because of the way that the 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 tournaments or the the meta is mm-hmm. kind of shaking out at least as, as far as what uh, of what a meta we have right now with online right. being the only way we engage in it. But I think neutrals in general kind of really suffer from uh, a panic heavy meta when that happens like i think even just the existence of melisandra and all of the panic stuff from the baratheon side or the stannis side of baratheons kind of scares them away so in this scenario i could sit there and say okay there's one baratheon player and one lannister player on my opponent's team i'm going to bench my neutral player to make sure i give them the best match mm. matchup possible at the end so they can try and dodge all of these panic games
0: Man. And so this is kind of just like a teaser here. I, you know, part of me in my head, it's like my headcanon is like the organized play team. I mean, I feel so bad for those guys. They've had all this work, all this stuff they were building up for. And obviously, you know, CMON Expo came and went and they were not able to really showcase anything. That all kind of got pushed back. But in my head, they're like slowly teasing this stuff out just to be like, hey, look, you know, we have all this cool stuff coming.
1: Yeah, this is a really big deal for for games in general. I think uh, a lot of times in uh, in games, when we see these kind of events or this format being created, it's almost 100 percent player generated like Mm -hmm. Privateer Press Games Workshop, Corvus Belly. They don't manufacture these formats. And since. Uh, Kulmin, you're Not's kind of getting ahead of the ball and dropping these formats before players start to develop them and kind of run away with their own formats without coolman right. you're not's, uh input. I think it really is a, a big testament to say where Kulmin, you not wants the game to go. And if any player ever had a question about the longevity of this game or the shelf life of this game i think any of those concerns could be dashed, and <laughs> that cool many or not's really doing a lot to kind of make sure that we get these cool exciting and innovative formats to continue the uh the competitive side of the game and even though i say competitive and a lot of that that twists a lot of players gut sometimes team formats are probably the best casual players entrance into a competitive environment because most people are just kind of going here to have fun. And at the worst case scenario, you're going to have one bad game where someone smokes you because they're really hyper competitive. And then the rest of your day is super fun. Yeah,
0: I I don't don't want to speak for my buddy Brian without him here, but, you know, he got into War Machine and uh, we both did. But, you know, I kind of I I petered out a bit and was more into song, but he kept going with it. And I, I remember him talking about playing some tournaments and then going up to his first team tournament and being like, oh, my gosh, it's amazing. And like he was just super thrilled about it. Um, and I could just tell the way he was talking about it, like the energy and excitement and like, you know, I don't know. So I'm like, I'm excited to
1: experience that myself. Yeah. The dynamics of the game change so much because it's not just, there's kind of like this, this, this pregame discussion that happens that you don't really get in a normal standard tournament process where you get to kind of, uh, really think about with your group, what's going to work well. So if you're a person who's like really shy about bringing a two list pairing, You end up having four or three other people, two to three other people that can help you talk through your pairing process and say, well, you know, I know you haven't played against this particular list or this commander a bunch, but here's what it does. And this is what it would do to your army. So when you're talking about what do I do during my pairing process, what list do I drop? Your other players can kind of be used as a. A support structure to make sure that you have the best game possible, instead of you just kind of blindly going into it and not understanding what you're supposed to do in that matchup. <laughs> right. Man, ah, oh, I'm I'm excited. So like, that. I'm I'm already just like eager
0: to try this out. I know I gotta be a little bit patient, but it gives me definitely something to, to start thinking about and
1: look forward to. Yeah, I know that. uh when 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 life kind of develops in a way where the pandemic isn't super prevalent anymore i think the first time this ever happens this this team format there's going to be a resounding response from the community that really put says like this is probably like the most pure way to play a song of ice and fire oh man i hope so i hope so uh
0: and i know there are some tournaments going on now that are starting up again um out in uh gamers haven in parma heights ohio uh november 7th is going to be a, a big tournament uh it's capped due to uh COVID restrictions not to interest, but I think they've got like a 24 person tournament going there. That was uh, Bob and Max who were on a previous podcast for us. Nights Watch, Bob. Maybe someday he'll convert to free folks. So I know people are starting to get back into tournaments, and you know maybe we'll see some people testing this out. Uh, you know, in smaller communities before
1: 2021. Yeah, I think it'll, it'll definitely be a toughie because the one thing that you absolutely need for one of these tournaments is space, right? Because mm. you're, I know that in some of the War Machine tournaments that i've played in like this uh they also they garner a lot of interest because you are you know taking your 1v1 format of competitive play in a song of ice and fire definitely turns a lot of people off but we had a an event that was kind of born and bred in wisconsin for the american team champ or america's team championship and uh, we had pulled people from all over the continent like we had Canadians coming down to Wisconsin. We had people from Arkansas coming up. There were just there's so many uh, different people coming to kind of com- like kind of bring together at this event. And some of them were extremely competitive, but a lot of them were really just like we're here to have fun and just play with our friends because it really does give you that sense of camaraderie where everyone's working towards that same goal. And it's just a really exciting and fun way to interact with the game. And I'm really, ex- I'm really interested to see how the Song of Ice and Fire community adopts this format and, and kind of puts it at the, I'm hoping that it becomes the forefront of a Song of Ice and Fire organized play. Well, I will certainly be picking your brain about this, because I, I know you have a wealth of knowledge about this format
0: and A Song of Ice and Fire. I feel like you kind of, it's like a misnomer to have it be like big top gaming. It should be like big brain gaming or something. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to sending you a message and be like, what do you think about this? Or what do you think a team of this composition? But I guess it's like, it's like endless though, right? Because it all depends
1: on who you're matching up with. And, oh yeah, there's just a whole, whole nother layer to figuring this out. So it's one, it's just, again, I not, not to sound like a broken record, but it really does appeal to a lot of people where like the competitive, the non-competitive people are the more casual people. They can sit there and just like bring what they want to and hang out with their friends and have a good time working towards the same goal. You know, everyone's victory, the team's yeah. victory, the shared victory. And even if you lose, it's not always the worst because that's one thing we didn't go over is like, the idea of jumping on a grenade right so like if you're a player who's like okay everyone on my team is really garbage into uh like uh, for whatever reason Lannister players so I'm gonna take the player that's probably like a little more practiced into that probably doesn't have the greatest matchup in the universe but I'm gonna throw them into that one because I'm expecting them to lose in order to help bolster my other players percentage of winning because we're all just bad into Lannister man, that's so cool. I'm,
0: yeah, man, I'm going to start thinking about this already. We start making some lists and, and talk to some buddies and, oh man. Yeah. And so now the, the big thing is, so uh, this was just essentially a, a preview of things to come. And so, you know, people out there, remember there's a whole organized play, uh, I don't know what to call it, you know, thing. Experience, being, right? Experience being developed. And they and they had a group of people working on this and, and uh, you know, this isn't it, right? This is, here's a document in advance of like just kind of a preview of some of the things for 2021. And, uh, Oh man, I'm so excited. <laughs> like yeah, talk, about a, I mean, talk about a big month. This, this, we're having so much stuff coming out soon. Ugh. It's
1: so interesting to think that this is the thing. One of the big things they've decided to preview is like the first initiative towards their competitive play, uh, campaign. Right. Because like, in my opinion, I feel like this is the pinnacle, like this is the mountaintop, you know, this is the very tippy top of the great of the, of the wall, right? I know. <laughs> and, uh, and from from here, I, I only can imagine it going up. And it's just so hard to ima- hard to think of because this is such a huge, fun thing. And I know that a lot of players might be intimidated by it. But there's just so much you can engage in with this format. It's it's a really exciting time. And just, you know, and not that there was ever any doubt, but it's like such a
0: clear indicator that Simon really does have a plan and they're working towards it. And,
1: you know, they've got this. Exactly. I think there's a lot of momentum with the developers, too, where, you know, in in the past, some of Cool Mini or Not's competitive games have kind of fallen by the wayside for one reason or another. But like A Song of Ice and Fire is still clipping along and it's a lot of the community that keeps their motivation up. And when they put this stuff out, it brings our motivation up to play. It just kind of keeps on building and building and building to this massive crescendo where we're just going to be like organized play is so awesome. And this is one of the best games you can find on the market. I do feel like the first time uh, we try and facilitate something like this locally, though, I would be
0: like, okay, wait a second. If A chooses B, and if B chooses, I'd be like, it's like some sort of like math equation where I'm like, okay, so now there's two to two. But hopefully there'll be someone, you know, locally who can help guide me through this. It's it's pretty simple to document.
1: Yeah. but the, the, the always sunny memes keep popping up. In <laughs> but uh, yeah, the first time I went to a team event like this where we had to choose player setups, there's always the person we'd elect as the captain who was kind of like the main decision maker. Mm-hmm. And that's usually the most experienced or the one who kind of understands every aspect of everything in the game a little bit better. And those are the people you really want kind of spearheading things. And they can kind of start asking the questions to their other players to say, "Okay, well, here's what I'm thinking. what do you think about this given your you know skill level and how you've interacted with other uh, lists like this in the past? And as long as you have someone kind of facilitating that discussion, it's really easy to kind of watch this system kind of unfold in front of you and the more you engage in it the more you understand it i know there's a lot of team a and b back and forth and this yeah. Bannerman and that bannerman gets eliminated and then you've got this bannerman and it sounds really confusing and chewy but like once once you go through it the first time it's all downhill from there and you understand it oh man i'm so excited i
0: mean from my background uh i've mentioned maybe on here so i, I my background is in uh, combat sports originally and i stopped that to do this sort of stuff. And I really enjoyed like team sports that are like nested in individual sports where you're kind of like all working together, but then you go out there and you perform on your own and then you kind of come back to the group. Um, and I'm just excited to have this sort of experience brought into tabletop board gaming.
1: Yeah. There's the the other cool thing about this too, that, um, is kind of hidden sometimes when we play is that, Sometimes you might do one of those, like kind of pitching someone to a bad matchup, and then they might actually learn that that's not really that bad of a matchup. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You might actually pull that out, and then like there's always the the nail biting, and it's, it's not so much in the four player team format because there's not enough players to make it where like two people from the team have lost and two people from the team have won, and then there's that one matchup where you're all just like biting your nails in excitement and anticipation. Whereas in a normal team, we're in a normal format for like the one v one competitive play you really don't care if there's only one person left playing their game. You kind of just want them to be done to move on, but there's just so much involvement and excitement and figuring out like, Oh, that's so true. Yeah. That's I just believe- going to make the actual event so much better. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of the reason why I think uh, at first I was not a super huge fan of the, uh, the way that Kulmini or not scores their rounds. But um, in this one, since two players from team A could win and two players could lose, there's not a definitive winner from the round until you start looking at some of these tournament points, like the team points and secondary mm-hmm. points and tertiary points. So I really am a little bit more appreciative of the point system that Cool or not has, whereas previously I was very much not when it was just the one player format.
0: I feel like this is like another one of those moments I've had where it's like kind of like the that parable of like the the blind man and the elephant, or like each thing is like looking at one small piece and being like, oh, an elephant is like a tree trunk or like, oh, an elephant is like a giant fan or like a giant noodle. Uh, you know, you get the idea, but
1: uh, it's, uh, but like we don't see the whole picture, right? Exactly. This is kind of kind of exploring why Coleman not set things the way up, up the way they did when in the beginning, when I first saw those things, I was just like, this is just not functional. So what we've been is
0: basically in like a gap year, like 2020 as a year kind of didn't shape up In this entire plan. And so maybe it was a little bit of an off year, it felt a little bit different. And, you know, obviously the pandemic stuff, but like, oh, we're kind of just waiting to fill that gap in like where we maybe would have been, you know, seven months ago, if uh, things hadn't picked up, and we had had this maybe announced at CMON Expo, like, I think it was smart for them to wait, to be honest.
1: Yeah, I think so, too, because the the miniature wargaming world in general kind of moves really, really fast. And every single company that's out there, they want your money, right? Right. Like, so they're going to do everything they can to try and make sure that happens. So I know that the releases, uh, both information and model wise for Cool Media or not, have kind of slowed down with pandemic stuff in the past. But it's only done, uh, enough, it, the only thing it's done is really help build up this uh, this pressure, right, of the of the content drop where they're going to start blowing all this stuff up on us. And it's going to keep every player really excited and interested again. So we don't start pulling away and just say, I'll buy my one box a month or whatever and and move on with my life. And then when things are, you know, functional to where I can go out again, I'll just, I'll pick it up when I pick it up. This way we can kind of keep that excitement drumming up. And we'll all be like really kind of foaming at the mouth to get this team format on the table with all of our 5 million attachments. God, November is going to be a, a wallet busting month.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you uh, know wrapping things up here, um, you know, you are a, a veteran war gamer, you have a wealth of knowledge, obviously very well spoken. And, uh, you know, a lot of times you, people play like a few games, right? You have like an A and a B game or two games maybe you really enjoy. And so you do a ton of awesome Song of Ice and Fire content, but also War Machine. So if people want to find more of your Song of Ice and Fire or War Machine content, you know, where, where should they be heading?
1: Well, right now, I, I have my the the Facebook page for Big Top Gaming, and and I'm not always the biggest uh, interaction person when it comes to online uh, or social media content. You know, like I have a Twitter for Big Top Gaming that maybe has like three followers because I barely do anything on it. But uh, Facebook is where I end up uh, posting a lot of the videos that we end up putting out through YouTube, which is just on Big Top Gaming, and uh, then I end up broadcasting that out to any of the pertinent groups that that content applies to and I always share it on the main Facebook pages and I also end up hitting up some things on Reddit but for the most part if you find me on YouTube uh, like and subscribe the to the channel and uh, you'll be able to keep up with everything that I put out for it which for right now has kind of been in a downturn but as soon as that November attachment box drop starts happening I think things are going to pick up quite a bit. Yeah
0: man oh and I've you've always done great content and you know it's always great talking to you. And thank, thanks so much for
1: coming on. Yeah, likewise. Thanks for having me here. I was really stoked to discuss this new format.
0: Oh, man, I feel like I learned so much. And so thank you for helping facilitate that. Uh, and if you're listening, make sure you check out uh, Brian's content over at Big Top Gaming. And in the meantime, we hope you get your miniatures on the table.